book three chapter nine of the heavenly twins this is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by judy guinan the heavenly twins by sarah grand book three chapter nine later in the day lord dawn who had ridden in saw dr galbraith's carriage waiting before mrs orton begg's little house in the close he reined in his horse which was fidgety and at the same moment dr galbraith came out nothing wrong here i hope lord don inquired no was the curt response it is that poor child at the palace i have been up with her all night what is the matter now lord don inquired now it is her brain the doctor answered then stepped into his carriage and was driven away lord don dismounted and met mrs orton begg who was coming out with her bonnet on no hope i suppose he said in a tone of deep commiseration oh it is worse than death she answered i am going there now dr galvis said i shall be of use the bishop and angelica spent some time in the library together that morning the bishop had sent for angelica to talk to her and she had come to talk to the bishop and being quicker of speech than he she had taken the initiative did you ever feel like a horse with a bearing rein champing his bit she began the moment she burst into the room no i never did said the bishop severely ah then i can never make you understand how i feel now she said throwing herself on to a chair opposite to him sideways so that she could clasp the back you look very unsympathetic she remarked it seems to me the bishop began with increased severity that you have no respect for anybody no i have not she answered decidedly at least not for bishops and doctors who let mentith miscreates loose in society to marry whom they please the bishop winced i am sorry to have to reprove you seriously he recommenced shaking his head but i feel that i should not be doing my duty if i neglected to point out to you the extremely reprehensible nature of your conduct first in causing grievous distress of mind to edith in consequence of which partly she is now lying dangerously ill upstairs angelica stopped him by suddenly assuming a dignified position on her chair she looked hard at him and as she did so great tears came into her eyes and ran down her cheeks if i have done edith any injury she exclaimed i shall never forgive myself well well said the bishop kindly but do you think i was so much to blame angelica demanded interrupting him i only did what you and mrs beale and everybody else did took it for granted that she had married a decent man but go on said angelica throwing herself back in her chair and folding her arms what else have i done you have grievously injured a fellow-creature oh fellow if you like and creature too said angelica but the injury i did him was a piece of luck for which i expect to be congratulated you took the sacred word of god the bishop began because of the weight of it angelica interrupted again figuratively too it was most appropriate i call it poetic justice whichever way you look at it and she burst into a sudden squall of rage if you nag me any more i'll throw bibles about until there isn't a whole one in the house the bishop looked at her steadily i shall say no more he observed very gently but i beg of you to reflect then he opened the quarto bible and began to read to himself angelica remained sitting opposite to him looking moodily at the floor but now and then they stole furtive glances at each other and every time the bishop looked at angelica he shook his head 
things have gone wrong in the spheres slipped from angelica at last the sphere said the bishop looking up what's sphere the woman's sphere angelica answered solemnly and then she told him her dream it took her exactly an hour to relate it with such comments and elucidations as she deemed necessary and the bishop heard her out when she finished he was somewhat exhausted but he said that he thought it a very remarkable dream if you had been able to manage the sphere you see angelica concluded and to regulate the extent of it you would have been able to make it a proper place for us to live in by this time my dear child you are talking nonsense the bishop exclaimed well it may sound so to you at present angelica answered temperately but there is a small idea in my mind which won't be nonsense when it grows up she was silent for a little after that and then she ejaculated i shouldn't be surprised if that pestilence were me ah uh, said the bishop did i speak said angelica yes ah then that is because i am tired out i shall go to bed don't for the life of you let anybody disturb me she got up and left the room yawning desperately and very soon afterward her aunts came to take her back to mourn but the bishop obeyed her last injunction implicitly and they were obliged to return without her the news that edith had returned to the palace bringing her little son for the first time was soon known in the neighborhood the arrival of the boy was one of those events of life originally destined to be a great joy which softened the heart and make it tender and very soon carriages came rolling up with ladies leaning forward in them all in a flutter of sympathy and interest eager to offer their congratulations to the young mother and to be introduced to the child and meanwhile mrs beale sat beside her daughter's bed patting her slender white hand from time to time as it lay upon the coverlet with that little gesture which had struck angelica as being so piteous edith had not spoken for hours but suddenly she exclaimed avidin was right mrs beale rocked herself to and fro and the tears gathered in her eyes and slowly trickled down her cheeks edith darling she said at last with a great effort do you blame me oh no mother oh no edith cried pressing her hand and looking at her with the last flash of loving recognition the same thing may happen now to any mother to any daughter and will happen so long as we refuse to know and resist a spasm of pain contracted her face she pressed her mother's hand again gently and closed her eyes presently she laughed i am quite quite mad she said do you know what i have been doing i have been murdering him i have been creeping creeping with bare feet to surprise him in his sleep and i had a tiny knife very sharp and i felt for the artery she touched her neck and then stabbed quickly and he awoke and knew he must die and cowered and it was all a pleasure to me oh yes i am quite quite mad she did not notice the coming and going of people now or anything that was done in her room that day only once when she heard a servant outside the door whisper for her ladyship she asked what it was and a silver salver was brought to her covered with visiting cards she looked at one or two kind messages she said great names and i am a great lady too i suppose i made a splendid match and now i have a lovely little boy the one thing wanting to complete my happiness what numbers of girls must envy me ah they don't know but tell them tell them that i'm quite quite mad mrs beale was at last persuaded to go and rest and mrs orton begged replaced her i am glad you have come said edith i want to show you my lovely little son naturally i want to show him to every one and she laughed late in the evening when the room was lighted up 
edith noticed her father and mother and dr galbraith angelica was there too but in the background oh edith exclaimed with a sudden shriek starting up in bed i want to kill i want to kill him i want to kill that monstrous child dr galbraith was in time to prevent her springing out of bed i know i am mad she moaned in a broken voice i am quite quite mad i never heard a creature in my life never thought an evil thought of any one why must i suffer so father my head again she started up can't you can't you save me she shrieked father my head my head angelica stole away to her own room put on her things and walked back to mourn alone end of book three chapter nine recording by judy guinan